Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, February 15th. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. Yes, that was former South Carolina governor and Trump administration U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley from a video released yesterday announcing her 2024 presidential campaign. She and Trump are now the only announced candidates. Here's another clip. The images on the screen during this from her announcement video include New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and at another point in big numbers, the date 1619. Some look at our past as evidence that America's founding principles are bad. They say the promise of freedom is just made up. Some think our ideas are not just wrong, but racist and evil. Nothing could be further from the truth. So we have a daughter of Indian immigrants invoking being a woman in high heels in the first clip and kind of owning the libs in that second clip by downplaying racism as a factor in modern America, even in our history, just like Trump or Ron DeSantis might in similar language. And here's one more excerpt for now, then we'll bring on a South Carolina guest and have him talk us through a few more clips. She asserts, without saying why really, that she'd be better at winning votes than other Republicans who might run. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That has to change. Joe Biden's record is abysmal, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. The Washington establishment has failed us over and over and over again. It's time for a new generation of leadership to rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border, and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. So Nikki Haley is running for president. Let's see what kind of leader she was as a governor and what kind of candidate or president she might make based on that with a journalist who covered Haley when she was governor from 2011 to 2017. It's Andy Shane, managing editor of the Post and Courier newspaper from Charleston, South Carolina. We may also touch on the other big presidential race news from South Carolina. Looks like the Democrats will have their first primary there rather than New Hampshire or rather than the Iowa caucuses. Andy, we really appreciate you giving us some time today and giving listeners elsewhere in the U.S. some insight into Nikki Haley. Welcome to WNYC. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, And, you know, even though I live here in South Carolina, I've got family in the city uh, 
So it's uh, it's nice, at least vicariously, to uh, to be back in the Big Apple. Well, glad you're on. And I've got some more clips to play, including what she has said about her, what you might call 15 minutes of headline fame nationally when she took down the Confederate flag from the State House after the racist massacre at a black church in town in 2015. But let's begin with the clip we just heard. Why do you think she invoked that the Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections? I think she invoked it because I think what she is is saying is that essentially she's the candidate to break that cycle. Um, You know, she's really kind of on a on a razor's edge here when it comes to Donald Trump. She, of course, needs the Donald Trump supporters, some of whom maybe are disenchanted with the with the former president to come over to her side. But, of course, doesn't want to turn them off. And at the same time, of course, uh, you know, wants to wants to sort of distance herself from the president to say, look, I'm the candidate who can turn this this essentially this losing streak around, Um, uh, considering, again, she's a woman. She's a woman of color. Um, She has, of course, this interesting backstory that she shared uh, about her life and about her parents. Uh, in this video, and and of course the the story that she likes to share of of what she, of, rec- of racial reconciliation in the wake of the Charleston uh, church massacre. I'm going to play another clip. We asked you to come on because you covered her as governor, not just as a national political figure. So let's get at some of that. Here's another clip from the video where Haley does refer to her time in office. There, I was born and raised in South Carolina. So I have seen the very best of our country. People here threw out the old, tired political establishment and demanded accountability for their tax dollars. Industry reports called us the beast of the Southeast, which I love. People came by the thousands for fresh starts. Moms and dads held their heads up high. Children learned that it was always a great day in South Carolina. It's a great day. It's a great day. A great day. A great day in South Carolina. We were strong. We were proud. Nikki Haley, again from her presidential campaign announcement video. Andy, um, did they really call South Carolina the beast of the Southeast for job development? You know, I, I think there was a, a press reference, a national press reference mentioned mentioned in that, um, and it came at a time when we were, uh, when the state was gaining a lot of jobs and a lot of uh, a lot of economic development announcements. We, under her, uh, in during her time as governor, uh, Boeing, uh, which has its only jet manufacturing plant outside of the Seattle region in North Charleston, expanded. Um, we ha- we uh, brought in a number of tire makers. Challenging Ohio as 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 the uh, top tire maker in the country, um, you know this is aided by the fact that South Carolina is a of uh, is the lowest unionized state in the country. It is a right to work state, so labor costs tend to be uh, lower in South Carolina. Also, of course, because we are one of the fastest growing states in the country, we're getting people uh, their employees to to be had. Uh, so a lot of a lot of businesses came in and. And one of the issues about being the governor of South Carolina is it's it's a weak governor system. Uh, she cannot control legislation. She cannot control the budget. What she can, what governors can do, is of course issue executive orders. You know, evacuate uh, the coast during hurricanes, but also basically act as the chief economic recruiter for the state. And what she realized fairly early on in her t- um, 
in her time in office is that that's what she could build on. Um, she would give her cell phone number to um, CEOs and say, you know, if you're, you know, as you're weighing us versus other states, please call me. I will. I, I'm going to lobby you directly. I'm going to work with you directly. Um, so she was accessible in that way and and endeared herself to a lot of these uh, a lot of these executives uh, trying to weigh what state to come into. And also, um, despite the fact that she ran as a Tea Party candidate in 2010, a smaller government, we don't pick winners in giving incentives. She ended up, um, you know, being part of a of an administration that gave away a lot of incentives and a lot of uh, tax breaks to win these businesses. It's uh, it's the way that that uh, that uh, that this is done now. Uh, in order to win these big companies and win these big uh, industries, uh, industrial sites, uh, you have to offer them all sorts of goodies uh, so that they don't pick North Carolina, Tennessee, Louisiana, Kentucky. You said she was Tea Party. She was governor basically during the Obama years. Did she take a very oppositional approach to Obama policies explicitly? She did. I mean, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Medicare expansion is not something that's happened here. Uh, still hasn't. Um, so uh, she Medicaid. You know, Mm-hmm. Medicaid, excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, I haven't had enough coffee this morning. Thank you very much. Medicaid mm-hmm. expansion um, um, uh, has not, uh, you know, was not something that she uh, was that she, you know, was not something that we've we've done at this point. Um, we've, of course, we're a Republican state with a Republican dominated legislature. So it's not likely to happen anytime soon. Um, uh, the feeling is, is that essentially uh, that the expansion is something that eventually the state will have to pay for and um, uh, and not the not the federal government. So she 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 did uh, she did uh, uh, you know vehemently oppose that and and other uh, democratic uh, initiatives um, uh, during during her time um, and again that was part of being a Republican and also at that time uh, especially early on in her her time as governor seeing being seen as sort of a new brand of Republican with uh, Tim Scott and Marco Rubio as um, uh, you know uh, Republicans of color who could help broaden the base of the party uh, at that time uh, you know if we're talking about. 2012, you know, around the time of the Mitt Romney run. Let's take a phone call. Sachin in Los Angeles. You're on WNYC. Hi, Sachin. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Um, so I was just curious about, uh, you know, Nikki Haley, similar to Kamala Harris, is like the identity politics on the other side. Um, I was, I've always been surprised that politicians play the immigrant card, but then uh, she changed their religion. From uh, from being sick kids and that's a parents' religion to being uh, Christian, so I'm just curious what what you guessed thoughts on that and uh, you know unlike the the British Prime Minister who kept his religion and is pretty proud about it, I always find interesting that U.S. politicians or immigrants have to change their religion really religion to fit in. Interesting, Sachin. Thank you very much. Uh, does he have? Is he right on the facts? Did she? convert from Sikhism to Christianity? She did. Um, she did about the time, around, as I recall, around the time that she got uh, that she got married uh, um, after she graduated from Clemson. Um, the, you know, I, I can't remember the exact, uh, her exact reasoning for that, uh, but she, uh, she, and uh, in, in, in when she was here in the Columbia area, attended a Methodist church and, um, uh, and, uh, and, and had converted uh, but she, I think, as I recall, her wedding was part Sikh and part Christian. So she huh. does still, um, um, you know, uh, value, uh, participate in in, in uh, Sikh uh, religious events, uh, but uh, identifies as a Christian. The Census Bureau stats I'm seeing for South Carolina, about 5 million people, 
large majority white, 69%, then black, 27%, Latino, only 6%, and all Asian American groups, less than 2% of the state population. That's all Asian Americans, no less Indian Americans, which would be a tiny minority. So first of all, correct those stats if they're wrong, but I got them off the Census Bureau site. But if they're right, what role did Nikki Haley's Daughter of Indian Immigrants Heritage, uh, which she cited right at the beginning of her video there and that the caller asked about, play in the way she ran for governor originally. Sure. You know, it, 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 that's an interest. That's an interesting um, uh, arc uh, that that she's had in that way. Uh, at first, she didn't really play it up when she ran for governor. In fact, um, I didn't cover that initial race, but uh, I was at the paper. Um, uh, you know, I was in South Carolina and working with with some of the political reporters at the time. And they, she would, she would, she would chafe at the idea that they would bring up her her heritage and and sometimes even her gender as an as a as a as a as a factor in it. Then all of a sudden, she gets elected, and she's on the cover of Newsweek as this, as I said, this new era of Republicans, of Republicans of color, younger, um, you know, um, you know, looking very different than, you know, the, the nominee that they put up for president in 2012 and Mitt Romney. So, you know, then that became an issue. And then she also played it up more in her uh, biography. She she wrote a biography soon after she became governor. And um, and again, that was an issue. That's where a lot of these anecdotes are starting to come from. And anecdotes that you, if, if you're going to follow the campaign, you're going to hear often, you know, about um, an, an uncomfortable moment with her father, who was wearing a turban at the time uh, at a at a fruit stand uh, in uh, in Columbia, and and some other things. And also uh, growing up uh, in in a rural part of South Carolina where she wasn't black, she wasn't white. Nobody kind of knew what to do with her, so to speak. There was, of course, the white supremacist terror attack by a 21-year-old man named Dylan Roof, who entered the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, to remind you of the specifics, in June of 2015, and killed nine black parishioners. Roof, I believe, is currently on death row. Despite a recent arrest before that that would have prevented him from buying a gun legally, he did buy one legally because the background check system was too slow to comply with a three-day window after which the purchase would be allowed. Here is Haley from her presidential run announcement video on that incident. And when evil did come. Police in South Carolina are looking for a gunman following a shooting at a church. Several victims, we don't know the uh, severity. We turned away from fear toward God and the values that still make our country the freest and greatest in the world. And here is Haley on the Glenn Beck radio show in 2019 explaining why she decided to remove the Confederate flag from the state house after that white supremacist attack. This clip is about a minute and a half. South Carolina fell to her knees when this happened. This is one of the oldest African-American churches these 12 people were amazing people. They loved their church. They loved their family. They loved their community. And here is this guy that comes out with his manifesto holding the Confederate flag and had just hijacked everything that people thought of. And we don't have hateful people in South Carolina. There's always the small minority that's always going to be there. But, you know, people saw it as service and sacrifice and heritage. And but once he did that, there, there was no way to overcome it. And the national media came in 
in droves. They wanted to define what happened. They wanted to make this about racism. They wanted to make it about gun control. They wanted to make it about mm-hmm. death penalty. And I really pushed off the national media and said there will be a time and place where we talk about this, but it is not now. We're going to get through the funerals. We're going to respect them. And then we will have that conversation. And we had a really tough few weeks of debate, but we didn't have riots. We had vigils. We didn't Mm -hmm. have protests. We had hugs. And the people of South Carolina stepped up and showed the world what it looks like to to show grace and strength in the eyes of tragedy. So, Andy, there are a few things to unpack there. But on the basics, was the Confederate flag at the State House an issue before the Dylan Roof shooting? And why did it culminate with Nikki Haley deciding to remove it? Oh, it, it had been an issue for, for decades. It, um, the Confederate flag was first placed over the placed actually over the dome on the State House. So it was the American flag the South Carolina state flag and the Confederate flag, uh, since, uh, since uh, the, uh, uh, the anniversary of the Civil War through 2000. And then what happened was uh, there was a, um, uh, a compromise made to take the flag off the top of the dome and actually put it on the ground, basically on the front lawn of the state house, uh, right in front of one of the busiest intersections in town um, for the next 15 years. So from 20, 2000 to 2015, the Confederate flag was was pretty much you know you would just you could see right off the street um it had been an issue um the naacp had initiated a boycott um of of south carolina of tourism in south carolina uh, the ncaa would not um award uh championship uh tournaments uh in south carolina um because of the flag um and so in the end it ended up uh, being an issue but it never moved until dylan roof um nikki haley had been in office at that point for uh, a little over a, a little over a term. She was the fir- in the first year of her second term uh, when the Dylan Roof, uh, when the when the uh, Emanuel Church shooting took place, and um, and in fact, in during her reelection uh, campaign during a debate, she was asked about the flag uh, during a debate and said that um, uh, that she had not heard from any CEOs saying that it was a detriment uh, to uh, to South Carolina. So uh, this was a, quite of a turn of events uh, that happened with Dylan Roof. Of course, it was uh, horrific. Uh, what happened, uh, for those who don't know, uh, he essentially walked into a, a small uh, church uh, Bible study uh, at this uh, at this uh, pr- prominent black church in downtown Charleston, sat there for a, a, lo- a long period of time, and then got up and started shooting people, uh, including uh, uh, the, the, the reverend who was a state senator. Um, so, uh, and then it turned out that he did um, have um, online a manifesto, and he's holding the Confederate flag in one of, in one of his photos. And that was enough uh, that uh, Governor Haley started the effort to try to get the flag removed uh, from the ground. Do you think uh, that, that they, the um, previous caller was correct to any degree in saying that she focused on the flag to distract attention from the rising call for gun control that also grew out of that incident? Well, you know, I, I, this happened very quickly after the shooting. She, she decided this days after the shooting about that. I don't know it was necessarily about distracting from the calls about uh, about gun control issues because again, it, it's you know when you have multiple fires, gun control, <laughs> having the Confederate flag on the most prominent building in in the state, um, there were a lot of issues going on. So she focused first on getting the flag down. and it was down within weeks after the shooting, which is a, a huge and again, think about it. this flag had been up for fifty years um, in some form uh, at our state house. It came down. 
you know, in a matter of weeks after the Dylan Roof shooting. Now, there were calls, and there were a number of bills introduced uh, to, to take care of a number of issues dealing with, with gun control and gun purchases. None of it went anywhere. We're, a, you know, again, we're a red state. We're a Republican-dominated legislature. Um, and there was no appetite, even though one of their own, a state senator, had been one of the, one of the uh, um, uh, people slain uh, at this, you know, at this, at this mass shooting, mm-hmm. they didn't change any of the, they didn't change any of the rules. They didn't change any of the laws. So it wasn't really, I mean, in the end, you kind of can do what you can do and you, and, and we moved on uh, after that. In fact, how has, how Democrats any of the Democrats in the state. Go ahead. And they're disappointed. Yeah. Is it possible that, to yeah. say how the flag decision has played over time with white South Carolinians? You know, it was a number of years later that, Trump decided to dig in on the Robert E. Lee statue and preserving that in uh, in Charlottesville, that that, you know, famous and horrific incident. Um, What uh, uh, how is this played with white South Carolinians, if you have any sense of that? Sure, I do. And and, and, and I have an interesting point also to bring up about Charlottesville as well. Um, So. First, you know, of course, there was a group of South Carolinians who thought this was the wrong thing. Um, you know, it, what's interesting about the flag debate was uh, it was a state senator who was who was uh, killed in the massacre. It flew through the state Senate fairly quickly. There were two long days of debate in the in the House of Representatives with a number of lawmakers still trying to keep find a way to keep the flag uh, on the state house grounds. And um, I think if you talk to some South Carolinians, they'll say. You know, again, they feel they see it as a uh, a sign of history and a sign of uh, you know of their family's legacy, and not as, as a symbol of hate. Um, and you know, it's it's ingrained here. It's just the way it is. Um, it's you know, and maybe as you know, it's hard to sometimes explain why do New Yorkers like certain things or do certain things. It's the same with a with a group of individuals down here who see the flag. Uh, as, as I said, as a, as, a, as, a, as a historical piece and as a piece honoring their family's legacy. Um, to Charlottesville, real quick, and, and again, this might be a reminder to the people, that after Charlottesville, Nikki Haley had a chat with, Dick, with Donald Trump about his comments, where she essentially, again, sort of said, uh, with, with, with some grace and some, um, you know, sort of velvet hammer, you know, told uh, President Trump that she thought his comments weren't, weren't quite appropriate and weren't, um, shouldn't be encouraging that kind of thing. And again, I think that's something you're going to hear about uh, during, her ta- during her run for president, mm-hmm. that she was able to be in his cabinet, but also be able to admonish him at times when she thought he crossed the line. South Carolina, Post and Courier, Managing Editor, Andy Shane. Thanks for so much insight into Nikki Haley and the politics of the state as she now is a candidate for president, the only one announced other than Donald Trump. Andy, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me today. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.